Do you make sure you can see Galatians 5 in front of you? And as we begin this evening, I want you to think a little bit about yourself for a moment. Think about yourself and answer this question. What is the one thing that you would like to change? What's the one thing you'd like to change? Or to put it another way, how would you finish this sentence? I wish I was less, what? Or I wish I was more, what? Some of us, as we think about that, would have immediately thought of our physical appearance. I wish I was taller or slimmer or had a bit more hair. But forget about the outside for just a moment and think about the inside, about your character. What would you change? What would you like to be more or less like this week? If you were with us last week, we saw that without the Spirit's work in our lives we wouldn't really be able to answer that question. Without the Spirit, we wouldn't think that anything much about ourselves needed changing, beyond the superficial at least. We would carry on living our lives in rebellion against God, and we wouldn't think anything of it. You see, by nature, that's what the Bible says all of us are like. Since the very beginning, since Genesis 3, every single person has lived life in rebellion against God. And there's nothing they can do about it. In fact, there's nothing they want to do about it. We're not good people who occasionally do bad things. No, the Bible says we are sinful, rebellious at heart. And we like it that way. That is until God's Spirit comes to work in us. Until, as we saw last week, the Spirit shows us what we're really like. It shows us our true state before God. The Spirit convicts us of our sin. And then he opens our eyes to the Lord Jesus. Opens our eyes to the one who died to deal with that sin. And as we trust in Jesus, as we put our faith in him that God recreates us by his spirit. God's spirit comes to live in his people. And that opens up the possibility of change, the possibility of a life lived for God rather than against God. Before God intervened, we couldn't stop sinning. Paul says in Romans 8, we were controlled by our sinful nature. But now because of the spirit, we have the possibility of not sinning. Of course, the sinful nature is there with us. It will always be with us until Christ returns or we go to be with him. We don't become perfect the day we become Christians. We still have that old sinful nature. But now there is a fight in us, a fight between the old sinful nature and the spirit who lives in us. And it's this fight that Paul is talking about in Galatians chapter 5. So just look with me there again. Because we're going to see that in Galatians 5, Paul says the Spirit helps us to fight. Verse 16 picks that up. Paul writes, so I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. Do you see, Paul says, there's a conflict going on, a fight in us. 
Paul says there's the, there's the spirit and the, and the sinful nature. And they desire different things. They fight, they conflict with each other. And so first, there's the pull of the sinful nature. It's there in verse 19. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you, says Paul, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. That is the pull of the sinful nature. And and it's not an exhaustive list. Did you see in verse 21, Paul says, and the like? He says these, these are just some of the things, just to name a few, that the sinful nature leads us towards. It's not exhaustive, and it does cover all areas of life, doesn't it? As you look through those different descriptions, you can see that whether it's our our sexuality or our relationships or our attitudes, sin affects every area of our lives. It's every area of life and it's every person in life. Some of the things that Paul lists there, things like witchcraft and orgies, we might read and think, well, I'm not perfect, but, but I've never got involved in any of that kind of stuff. Uh, but then just as we start to feel a little bit smug and, and think we don't do those sort of things, we, we read about jealousy and envy, anger and hatred, selfishness. We, we read those things and realise they are sinful just as much as the things that are less socially acceptable. You see, it's possible, isn't it, to look respectable, to not be involved in something like witchcraft, not get involved with the really bad stuff, yet still live according to the sinful nature. Still live life filled with jealousy towards others, even though we look like we're very content. Still be full of anger and hatred, even though we manage to smile in public. And so Paul says this is the the pull of the sinful nature. And it's in all of us. But fighting against that is the pull of the spirit. Just as the sinful nature leads us towards what is evil, so the spirit leads us towards what is good. Here Paul calls it fruit. Verse 22, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, forbearance, peace, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control again it's not an exhaustive list there there are some obvious things missing aren't there Uh, things the bible talks about elsewhere like forgiveness or humility it's not an exhaustive list and it's not a pick and choose kind of list notice that paul describes it as the fruit of the spirit not the fruits of the spirit which means we're not meant to look at those things listed in verse 22 and think okay well I'm quite a patient kind of guy I I like to think that I'm kind most of the time my diet's going quite well so self-control that's a tick that's a solid three fruits so I don't need to worry too much about the rest Paul says no no this isn't pick your best three there's a unity to the list this is the fruit of the spirit And so these things grow together. And then notice finally that it's not a list of rules, but a change of character. 
That's why Paul refers to the law in verse 18 and 23. Because this isn't about an external set of rules that we must follow. Rules to coerce good behaviour out of us. But rather it's the Spirit's work to produce in us godly character. And so Paul says that is the fight, the, the battle that exists within every Christian. The battle that didn't used to exist before the Spirit, before we had him living in us. But, but now that we do, now that we've received the Spirit, this is what's going on in our hearts every single moment of every single day. And Paul's aim here in Galatians is, well, it's to encourage us to go with the Spirit. You see, we're not, we're not kind of pawns in, in a fight, in a, chess board, in a chess game. We're not being pulled just by two opposing forces. No, we are called to join in the fight ourselves, to actively engage. Verse 25, Paul says, we are to keep in step with the Spirit. And so this isn't a, a let go and let God thing. Instead, it's a call to actively live in step with the Spirit who lives in us. To follow his leading and to live as the people he has made us to be. How do we do that? How do we live in step with the Spirit? Well, I've got two suggestions for us this evening. The first is we can look for fruit. Look for fruit. If we want to keep in step with the Spirit, then we need to regularly consider and remind ourselves just how wonderful the fruit of the Spirit really is. We do that first and foremost as we see it displayed perfectly in God. As we read that list there in verse 22, we need to see, first of all, that these things are the characteristics of God. And so 1 John chapter 4 tells us that God is love. That is who he is. Romans 15 says that he is the source of joy. And Philippians 4, that he is where we go to find true and lasting peace. As you read through the, the Bible as a whole, you see that God is infinitely patient with his people. You see that his kindness and his goodness knows no end and that his faithfulness lasts forever. You see, this is the fruit of the Spirit because this is what God is like. And the more clearly that we see and appreciate these things in God, the more we dwell on them in Scripture, the more we will grow in them ourselves. So Paul writes in Colossians 3, Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any one of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. The forgiving person is the person who remembers and rejoices in the forgiveness that God has shown them. Similarly, at the start of 2 Corinthians, Paul says, it's as we know and experience God's comfort in our lives, his comfort in times of trial and hardship, that we are then able to comfort other people when they experience times of trial. It's the same with all those things described in verse 22, isn't it? with joy and peace and patience and all the rest, the more we experience them, the more we see how wonderful and how lovely they are in God, 
the more we will grow in them ourselves. We must look for fruit. We must see these things in God. And we must also look for fruit in each other. We need to train ourselves to see the fruit of the Spirit in each other and then praise God for it. And so when we see a a Christian brother or sister being patient with someone else on a Sunday morning, or when we see an act of kindness, well, we should thank God for the Spirit's work in that person's life. When we see someone, a friend, grow in the area of self-control or in gentleness, we can encourage them, we should encourage them, that the Spirit is working in them, growing them, changing them to be more like Christ. In other words, we need to get good at spotting fruit, good at recognising the Spirit's work in the lives of other people and in our own lives. Just listen to what Tim Chester says about spotting fruit, spotting the Spirit's work in other people and in yourself. He says, if I asked you when you last experienced the power of the Spirit, I wonder how you would reply. Perhaps you're thinking, I'm not sure I can ever remember performing a miracle or or speaking in some sort of anointed way. But left to ourselves, we would be living for self, in proud defiance of God. And so all the good that we do is done in the power of the Spirit. He goes on, so when you risk hostility to speak about Christ, or when you choose to attend a prayer meeting on a cold night, or when you decide to spend time with someone in need, or when you do any little act of sacrifice for Christ, then you experience the life of the Spirit, the power of the Spirit in you. There's probably no tingle down your spine or warm glow in your heart, but you know that left to yourself you would be selfish, and any good that you might do might be, would be done out of pride. But God in his grace doesn't leave you to yourself. He sends his spirit to give you new life and new desires. And so you see, one way we can keep in step with the spirit is by looking for fruit. By seeing it displayed perfectly in the character of God. But also as we see it in the lives of each other and in ourselves. And we praise the spirit for his work in us. We need to look for fruit. And then secondly, we need to long for fruit. Long for fruit. In Galatians 5, Paul uses this language of fruit to describe what is essentially the Spirit's work in our lives. Uh, but elsewhere, the Bible, uh, in the Bible, these characteristics, they're, they're simply described as godliness or righteousness. And so in Matthew 5, Jesus says this, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled. Which means if we want to keep in step with the Spirit, if we want to keep in step with his work in our lives, well, we need to hunger and thirst for fruit. We need to desire godliness, to long for these things to be seen in us. It's a little bit like drinking tea. When I was growing up, I used to stay at my grandparents' house quite a lot. And my grandma would always make me a cup of tea first thing in the morning. She'd always make it with loads of milk and a big spoonful of sugar. 
And so for years, I got used to drinking sweet, milky tea at grandma's. And I loved it. But then over the years, I stopped having sleepovers at grandma's, and I started making my own cups of tea. And I don't remember when it was, but at some point, I stopped putting sugar in my tea. I think it's because I thought that's what adults did. And so, um, sorry if you, you still have sugar in your tea. Um, I thought that's what grown-ups did. And so if I wanted to grow up, I needed to stop having sugar. Um, and and that's, that's what I did. And, and at first, at first it, was, it was disgusting. It, it tasted awful. It was bitter. I couldn't bear it. But I persevered because, again, that is what grown-ups do. And over time, I learned to drink my tea without sugar. And now, I hate having sugar in my tea. I, I can't bear the taste of it. And the Bible says we need to do the same thing when it comes to the fruit of the Spirit. We need to develop a taste for godliness. Paul says that, yes, the, the Spirit works in us. And, and as he does, he changes our desires. He gives us new hearts and new desires for the things of God. But we must also, along with the Spirit, actively, consciously develop a taste, a desire for those things. Verse 16 again, he says, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. He says we must, not con we must consciously decide not to indulge our sinful appetite, not to indulge our selfishness or our greed or our anger, but instead actively choose to be generous or patient or kind. And doing that, obviously, isn't easy. It's not easy because living for ourselves, living to gratify our desires, that, as we've seen, comes very naturally to us. It's not easy because sin tastes good when you have an appetite for it. And we all have an appetite for sin. It won't be easy. But look at what Paul says in verse 24. He says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. That old way of life, your old self with its old desires, that has died, says Paul. Jesus says, doesn't he, at the start of John's gospel, when you believe in him, when the spirit comes and lives in you, he changes you so that you're born again. You're a new person now with new desires. But then in verse 17, Paul reminds us that even though our old self has been crucified, even though the passions and desires of the flesh have died, even though it has no power over us like it once did, there's still this battle. It's still there. The battle between the old sinful nature and the Spirit of God. And that means, as Paul says in Colossians 3, we need to keep on putting to death the sinful nature. We need to wage war on our sin, to fight it and to kill it. In other words, we need to change our tastes. With the help of the Spirit, we need to lose our appetite for sin and develop a taste for godliness. We need to learn to long for fruit and cut out of our diet anything that gratifies our sinful desires. 
And that will look different for each of us. But let me ask you a few questions. If you want to keep in step with the Spirit, do you need to cut out those TV shows? The ones that make sleeping around and backstabbing look just like normal parts of life? Do you need to stop watching the programs that encourage gossip or self-righteousness? Do you need to stop following the people on Instagram who are obsessed with body image? Or the people on Twitter who only ever speak words of hate and anger? Do you need to stop following those people that make sin look fun and normal and godliness look weird and restrictive? Do you need to spend less time with the people that only ever encourage you to grumble and moan rather than rejoice? Or those who love to gossip rather than glorify God? Do you need to stop spending time with people that encourage selfishness rather than sacrifice? Paul says we need to cut out the things that encourage us to sin. And then we need to develop a desire for godliness. In Philippians 4, he writes, Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. He says, you've got to fill your head with the right stuff. You've got to spend your time thinking about the things that cause you to desire godliness, to hunger and thirst, to be more like Christ. If we want to keep in step with the Spirit, we've got, to, we've got to cut out the things, the books, the websites, the TV, even sometimes the people who feed our appetite for sin and instead develop a taste for godliness, to learn to long for fruit. And we know that we can't do that by ourselves, don't we? If we try to grow in godliness by ourselves, uh, by just simply stopping watching a few programs and deleting Twitter from our phone, we'll fail. We will utterly fail. But as we keep seeing in this series, God doesn't ask us to live the Christian life by ourselves. He's given us his spirit. The spirit who we saw last week shines a spotlight on the Lord Jesus, on the one in whom we see true love, and joy, and peace, and patience, and kindness, and goodness, and faithfulness, and gentleness, and self-control. The Spirit who points us to Jesus, who helps us to think about him. And then the Spirit who works in us, works at changing our desires so that we long to be more like Christ, changes our desires and changes our lives so we begin to look more like Christ, we begin to spot the Spirit's work as we represent Jesus and look like him. Let's ask God that the Spirit would do that work in us today. Let's pray. Our loving Heavenly Father, would your Spirit please point us to the Lord Jesus? Each and every day would we see these things that we uh, have described for us here the fruit of the spirit would we see those things clearly in christ and father as we do so would your spirit give in us a desire a longing 
to grow in these things so that we might be more like our Saviour. For his glory we pray. Amen.